What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Good afternoon to all our listeners. Over the last week, our planet is pulsing extra heavily with the wake-up frequency that everyone is feeling. And we are so excited to to start our show off with a passionate and well-spoken activist and an advocate for the oceans and our whale and dolphin family. Our guest, a best-selling author, Patricia Corey, is known as a real-life Indiana Jones, the author of The Emissary, which reveals her personal leap of faith adventure. Her latest book, The Emissary, a spiritual thriller, grabs a motion picture option and television rights by Global Entertainment Holdings. Can you imagine? Now that's magic. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Well, Taz, as you mentioned uh, um, before, that uh, she's uh, Patricia is an advocate for dolphins and whales. In fact, she's the CEO and founder of an organization called Save the Earth Oceans. Uh, Patricia is an international best-selling author, and we are so proud uh, to know that she is a native of San Jose, and she lived in the various other Bay Area cities, and, and she's now coming home after 12 years of being gone. She was living Yay. in Italy. Whoa. <laughs> so <laughs> Corey has been Im- immersed in the New Thought Movement since its inception and has been recognized and celebrated as a gifted shaman by indigenous spirit teachers of the Tibetan, Mayan, and Peruvian traditions. She's a former uh, radio host that was really popular. The name of her show was Beyond the Matrix on BBS Radio. And she's now a highly thought speaker and radio TV guest. Her areas of expertise include UFOs, ETs, extra-dimensional life, alternative health, ancient wisdom, healing, and everything in between. She has been interviewed in, on CNN, Coast to Coast Radio, and Exopolitics Radio, among many others. Taz, do you Hello. have more? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder when this girl takes a break. <laughs> This weekend, May 10th and 11th, Patricia Corey will be conducting a workshop at the uh, Sheridan Fisherman's Wharf. She'll be sharing about the Ascending the Light, DNA Intensive, and the Serious Initiation. Then she'll also be speaking at the San Francisco Public Library uh, main branch at um, uh, Larkin Street on Tuesday, May 13th from 6 to 7.30 p.m., 
Patricia Corey, we are so very honored and excited to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very honored to be with you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for a wonderful introduction. I appreciate that. You're quite welcome. Well, well Patricia, I was going to ask Patricia, what took you away from us in San Jose to Italy? Well, <laughs> I was at a party one night and uh I was actually I didn't I was already living in San Francisco and working up there in the hotel industry and uh I was at a party one night and my friend said where's your boyfriend and I said where is he ever because he was kind of not there a lot of the time and uh she said what if I tell this boyfriend to get yourself a real man and I said actually my soulmate is waiting for me in Rome and she said how do you know that and I said I just know and she said, well, girlfriend, you get on a plane and you go get your man. And funnily enough, I was at the right point in my life to hear that information. So I just quit the job, quit the boyfriend, quit my everything, dumped all my possessions. And two weeks later, I took a one-way flight to Rome, where I live. And I did find my soulmate, and we're still together 30 years later. Well, I was really lucky you followed your heart. A lot of people don't do that. I do. Uh, sometimes it, it, it lands me in the weirdest places, but I do follow my heart. Wow. Well, I, as I'm looking at all that you've done, I, I can't help but ask you, Patricia, what kind of flips did you do when you heard the news that Global Entertainment Holdings announced it had optioned the motion picture and television rights to your latest novel, The Emissary? Oh, my gosh. I can't even tell you. I wanted to pour a bottle of champagne over my head, but I thought that was excessive. <laughs> but it was the most exciting thing because I was guided. I woke up one morning, and like I have on so many other mornings where I, I hear guidance messages and I follow that message, and I, I got the message that it was time to write a screenplay, and I laughed because that's not easy. Who knows how to do that? And uh, I went on the Internet and looked up, I typed in, how to write a screenplay. This is a true story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because my work up till then had just been pure stream of consciousness, hopefully you're familiar with some of my other books. And uh, I read the information and said, I can do this. And, out, of course, it was still a stream of consciousness because um, I think that's what I do. And out came this. Story and it became more and more intense as I wrote it. And the process of, of doing it and seeing the characters take their own lives and take their own paths and begin to speak the, their own parts, it was very exciting for me. And so uh, I, I, I got the offer before the novel was even written. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. It was really amazing. Total manifestation, I have to say. No. <laughs> what what inspired you to do this to write this particular book? I mean, what 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 really took off in your mind to do this? I think that I really believe that it's time for the spiritual community to start to really dramatically reach out to mainstream. We have got to start bringing more and more people on board, and I think you'll agree with that. Uh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, that we are so in our in our spiritual niche, let's say we we're speaking a lot of us are speaking the same language, but it's time to get the entire planet speaking that language so that we can really make the shift that we are intent upon. So I thought, well, well, first of all, I didn't have much of a choice. When I get the guidance, I follow it. But I think that I I really want to be able to reach out more to mainstream and help affect bringing information to mainstream. And one of the best ways is film and fiction because then you don't have that resistance of people saying, oh, I don't, I don't want to hear that metaphysical stuff. So, so that was my intention, to, to be able to tell a story through fiction that has all of the uh, glamour and excitement of fiction, of a novel, but still brings forward the message that I think is essential at this time which is present in the emissary. Well, in fact, that was your first novel. Yes. 
So kudos to you. I mean, that's not only writing the novel, but a screenplay. It's very wow. Thank you. Now, who got you in touch uh, with the filmmakers? Well, I had uh, some friends working for me and talking to people and, and making connections, and it just all felt like I don't even have an agent. It's just uh, a few people saying, you've got to read this and uh, through friends, and a global universal jumped right on it. It was un- unbelievable, really. I got the call the next day after this friend of mine uh, met with this one producer, and he said, Patricia Foy, I want to sign you. I said, I'm sorry? I thought it was a joke at first. He said, we love the concept of the emissary. We want to read the script, full script, and we'd like to sign you. So um, it was a very, very beautiful, manifested, uh, almost preordained thing, I believe it. So hopefully, fingers crossed, this package that they need to put together will come to pass and we'll get into production soon. Oh, happy day! <laughs> well, it's, it's almost like the whales and the dolphins are helping us get, get organized. Saying that. I, I, w- I was just saying, uh, I think to Paula, that it looks like we whale lovers and protectors are really being united at this time. Now, in the book, it uh, talks about the uh, the main character, um, Hart, meeting with the heart, yes, meeting with the heart of the whale. Is that, um, did you bring that into the book from your own experience? Have you swam with the whales? I haven't had the joy of swimming with whales yet. I swim with dolphins, but it's a little bit more complex to be able to go into the water with whales. Right. And I have, I have to, you know, there are certain places where you can do that, uh, but I'm ready for it, and hopefully this next spring I will go to the Silver Banks and uh, near Costa Rica and be able to swim with humpbacks. I think at that point I'll be ready to pass on to the next dimension. Wow, just to be able to look into a whale's eyes, I could not imagine. Oh. I just went to Cetacean uh, Summit and saw films and uh, people from all over the world who um, are backing, the, helping the whales and dolphins. Uh, it was just incredible. And um, just to... The, the, when you look in a whale's eye, I, I saw it on film, but uh, it's like just bringing you into another dimension. Yes, we're talking about the, looking into the eye, and I was just describing that that actually did happen to me, but not underwater. It was this mother whale bringing her baby to explore us and play, and she looked at me right in the eye. It was as if she was saying, I trust you. And then this little baby, the captain said that it was so, it was still uh, so uh, malformed that it was clear that it had just, just been born. It had just come through the birth canal. So that was quite an experience. And yes, it does change your life. Absolutely. We, we went out in the boats in Hawaii and we were able to see the, uh, the mother whales and um, in Hawaii, uh, it's against the law to be any closer than 100 feet to a whale. But uh, you could still experience it. And uh, do you want to explain their songs? The whales have songs. I'm particularly interested in the music of the whales and dolphins, and I don't think that it's simply a discussion of mating and hunting and playing and communicating between them. I think their song has a much more important purpose. And that one of these reasons for this music is because they're actually holding the water in balance. They're actually, that music, which is being relayed around the planet, has a, a definitive role in holding the oceans together. So, for starters, a humpback call can be heard a hundred, a thousand miles away, and researchers are now doing exercises where they will play a particular music. There's one man whose name is Pierre. I can't think of his last name. Who has a horn that he's invented to play underwater, and he plays a sequence that the humpback whale will play back to him, and then somebody that he knows in Hawaii, more than two thousand miles away, 
will say that the whales are singing that new frequency, that new melody. So this tells us that they're doing some kind of a relay, and I just think that it may be that they're relaying certain rhythms and melodies around the world, working on holding the oceans in some sort of melodic balance. I think it's very exciting, and I think we're going to find out more about that in these coming years. I just got to see all over my body when you said that. I thought, oh, yes, I bet that's really true. (laughs) And then then what I learned is that each area has its own song, the whales. I mean, where they come in as a community, they they have their own song. Right, but they do share these songs, and they they seem to be relaying them over around the planet so that there's a constant symphony going on. Mm. So in your book, the the character, what's her name, Jane? She's a psychic medium. Jamie. She's a psychic medium, and um, she actually gets involved or works with the oil companies. So have you done this in your own – are you bringing this experience from your own life when you were writing this? No. I, if anything, I am antagonistic to the oil companies, and I want them to stop drilling in the oceans. But I deliberately made that connection with the protagonist, Jamie, because I wanted to show the complexity of that dynamic. That is, the bad guys are drilling in the ocean, and yet she goes – to work for them. Why? Because they promise her that if she will help them uh, locate sub, uh, subterranean oil pockets, that will help them not dredge up the ocean and destroy a lot of ecology in the, in the, in the deep. And she agrees to do it because she figures this, in the end, this is a good thing. If I could get them what they want, a way to, to locate these drill points, and they will drill with the least amount of damage. In the end, I'm doing something good for the ecosystem. So that was the idea behind that. Well, again, you're bringing light to um, the public because I'm I'm sure that not all the public knows how much damage is being done. That's right. I didn't want to hit hit the the reader over the head with condemnation of, uh, let's say, the, the oil companies and the corporate kill of the oceans. I wanted to, everything has its dimensions, light and dark. Yeah? Yeah. And so that's so what want, the position there. I wonder what how the uh, oil companies are going to, or the larger corporations, are going to <laughs> think about your movie when it comes out. Well, they probably won't like it, but that's okay with me. And they probably don't like my stand on drilling and my organization, which is out to um, identify what they're doing and hopefully raise a groundswell against it. But, you know, that when you're an activist, you can't worry about that. You just move forward. And that's another reason why I think that the movie is so timely because we have got to wake people up to what's really going on in the oceans or we won't have oceans full of oil and dolphins for the grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly the global entertainment holdings uh, liked your thinking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I really think our, our planet is, is really awakening, um, Patricia, and, and we are all ready for this message uh, to be, you know, to spread out everywhere. And I think, you know, this company picking you up just simply says that, hey, we're ready. <clears throat> yeah, and of course it's fiction. So, you know, they can get away with a lot in fiction. I had a beautiful endorsement from Captain Paul Watson of Sea Shepherds who said, the truth is often revealed through fiction. And the emissary does just that. Yeah, exactly. What well, that's was the, how the most indigenous- fun about writing The Emissary, the book, for you? And, uh, and also the most scariest part. The most fun? Yeah. The, yeah. Most- uh, the most fun was when I started, when, because it was new to me, this genre was new to me, 
when I started really feeling that these characters were beginning to, I could see them in my mind. So there's laying the groundwork and having an idea where you want to go with the story, and then it's another thing when at a certain point the characters appear to you. You can see them. You can you can feel them. You can you understand their obstructions and their dilemmas and their the, the depth of their personality. And that takes some time. I don't know about other writers, but it took me some time before that revealed itself to me. And that was so exciting. I, I, I couldn't even describe it. Uh, just a wonderful process. As for a fear, I don't think I had any fear. What kind of fear could I have? Well, did your characters come to you? Uh, be, I mean, it's almost like it was somebody else. If, if, did it feel like somebody else was writing the book? Like after you wrote and then you reread it, it was like you were reading it for the first time. Yes. Well, I'm a channel, you know, so that's how most of my other material has come through. And at a certain point, I had one day. I, I was 24 hours. This was pouring out of me. I didn't even brush my teeth. I started writing at 7 o'clock in the morning, and the next morning, it was 6 o'clock in the morning. And I, I was bleary-eyed, and I looked at the clock, and I couldn't believe it. I was just on a journey. And, yeah, there are many moments when I look back and say, wow, where does this come from? That, that flow of creation for any artist is it's just such a, a magnificent thing. And... When you're in the flow, you're in it. And uh, when you want to be in it and you're not in it, nothing comes. You just sit there and look at a blank screen. I guess being able to see everything, you know, sometimes when I'm writing, I'm going, oh, my goodness, am I capturing all that that really needs to go forward? And and then, of course, you you know, you're sit back, you sit back and you kind of, um, contemplate as you're writing and wondering if you're if you're helping the people that will be reading this book get get involved with your hopes and dreams as well, you know, and uh, helping to see and bring forth a new um, a new awareness. And so that's what I was looking at as far as, you know, how how you were in, um, scoping out the, the whole perspective of the book. Well, that's a very profound comment. I think that uh, you, with a book of this nature, you're, you're bringing forward a message that you, that I'm bringing forward a message that I am passionate about. And even though there are other aspects to the story, it's not just about whales and dolphins, obviously, but... It certainly is. They are protagonists in a very big way in the story. And many people that have read the book have told me, I never really realized how magnificent these creatures are and how intelligent they are. Yeah. So that thrills me that that, that information is getting through to people. Now you're going to also, I can't believe, I'm, this is like, um, there's a sequel. <laughs> there are yes. Asking you for a sequel. How exciting can that get? Not only that, I'm already halfway through the sequel. Oh, wow. my God. Yeah. <laughs> I write a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I know I know that it's channeled, but did you have to uh, do an, um, any digging and investigating for facts? It's, I know it's fiction, but, I mean, to, um, to back up the well, story. It's... I don't necessarily know that it's a channeled book. I, I'm very consciously aware of, of, of developing the story. But I, I do think I also have help. I think we all do in those creative moments. But as far as research, I have to say, I don't do much research when I write. And a lot of things, I did have a, someone named, um, believe it or not, his name is Captain Stoner. <laughs> <laughs> who is a captain? I said, you got to change your name. People won't take you seriously. Uh, a wonderful uh, man who is my friend, and he uh, is a captain of a yacht that that uh, cruises around in the Caribbean in the winter. And I said, could you run this by your, your in a moment 
when you've got some time and tell me if my terminology is off the charts or realistic. And uh, he did, and he gave me some constructive information about boat terminology. But other than that, I think that, no, I really don't research. I just, um, I go all over the world, though. So I have a sense of a lot of pieces that are in the story are also from my experience of traveling around the world and knowing places. And like it's said in Vancouver, I've spent time in Vancouver. So... And then you talk about harp. Not very many people know about harp. So I think this is really um, something to get out there, too. Yes. Well, back in 1999, I channeled my second book called Atlantis Rising, and I was one of the first people to even discuss harp back then. We're talking 15 years ago? So that was pretty um, avant-garde. And... Now, of course, people are learning about what harp is, but it's it's a key element to the story because it starts with three disasters occurring simultaneously around the planet. And then that chapter ends with a flyover in Alaska and uh, observation of this strange military base that's shooting out sparks and flames of electricity and clearly... I'm talking about uh, heart without actually naming it. Yeah, that's. I mean, I got that. Uh, we we have a a friend that lives in Alaska that we interview often. Nick Beggage. I don't know if you know him. Oh, wonderful, Nick Beggage. <laughs> anyway, so we've been talking about on our program heart for a long time. Nick Beggage is one heroic human being and. I honor and respect him, and please give him my regard. Yeah, he, he's one of our favorite guests. So I know you're going to have a, a workshop in San Francisco. Um, does this correlate with your, your book that's coming out? Uh, I don't have a book coming out at the moment. I mean the, the one that you – okay. The emissary, yes. Uh-huh. Um, well, it's more about my work with people um, with DNA activation. This is a consciousness, it's called the Ascending the Spiral of Light. And I've been doing this work all over the planet with groups of people, uh, helping them with their individual progress and in so doing, lighting up places all over the world with these groups of amazing people. So we are working on DNA activation, rewriting the genetic information in the body, altering the frequencies of the musical, uh, of the water, uh, how would I call that, that, the intracellular, extracellular and intracellular water, and knowing how to repair the DNA. It's a really very intensive workshop. And it's interesting because I used to teach, imagine, one whole weekend just for a third strand of DNA. And now this, which is the ultimate intensive that I I give, is uh, eliminating the additional 10 strands of DNA that are dormant in the body. So it's a very, very intensive weekend and very empowering. And some people, a lot of people say life-altering. Wow. Well, I'm jealous, Paz. Taz is going to probably get to go, and I can't go. Are you? Can you teach this in webinars? Well, I've been asked to do that, and maybe that will come about somewhere down the line. Why can't you come? You've got a, a, an injury? Yes, a broken foot. So? <laughs> I'd have to have somebody else. I'd have to have somebody else drive me, so maybe I can find somebody. Come on. We'll put her in an airplane. <laughs> You're going to spend a lot of time lying on the on the on the floor in altered consciousness, and uh, you don't have to worry. It's only a foot. <laughs> I know. Ah, boy. Uh, well, right, but I know, Patricia, you have you have so many speaking engagements and workshops going about. Let me ask you what is the most 
uh, asked questions of of you in your travels? People are very interested to know how I hear, what my process is, how I became so clairvoyant, and how I hear the messages from the Syrian High Council, because that. That, that's really a springboard for me. It started in 1996 and still is strong today. And they want to, a lot of people want to develop that capacity. And so they ask me, how do you really achieve that? And that's the question I get asked the most. And I, there really isn't a good answer for that because we, I'm sure you'll agree, we all open that third eye when we're ready. But right. there, there are certain things you can do to certainly facilitate that process without forcing the process of kundalini rising. And I think it has everything to do with your journey, your, your mission, and what you came into this lifetime to do. And I was blessed. I, I had a wonderful mother. And in fact, the relationship between Jamie and her mother in the story, the emissary, is not unlike my relationship with my mom. She was my guiding light. And as a young girl, she really allowed me the space to be that clairvoyant child and a mystic without, I mean, today I'm sure there are so many more people doing that, but back in the day of my youth, it was still, now you don't see that now, be a good girl and eat your spinach. (laughs) So I was blessed with a mother that nurtured that in me and I just, I, that's the question that's most often asked, and my answer is do what you can and trust that you are on the path that you set out for. Not everybody needs to be clairvoyant. It's fun, but it's, not, it's also a two-sided sword. You don't always just see beautiful things. Did you find Were yourself you as a younger child experiencing a lot of different things that maybe others didn't? Oh, yeah. In fact... I've been asked this question before, and I tell people it, it's a very strange thing when you are, when you have these, let's call them gifts, because as you're growing up, you don't understand that this isn't the norm. You don't understand that other people don't feel psychic pain or that they don't see these images or hear, hear these things. And so when, when, you, when you realize people don't, it's shocking. In fact, I was 21 years old. And my mother and I were watching something on television one night. And I looked away and I said, I can't bear the psychic pain. It was a, I think it was a, let's say, a, 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 some kind of a medical show where they were uh, enacting surgery. Okay? Yeah. And the enactment of a nice cutting skin made me violently sick. Yeah. And I always, I can't look at that. I have to look away. And my mother said, honey, what do you mean by that? You, you use this term all the time, but what do you mean? And I was floored. I said, what do you mean, what do you, what I mean? Psychic <laughs> pain. I just said, mom, are you kidding? I never knew at 21 years of age that this was a term that, or an experience that other people didn't have. Can you imagine? Wow. Wow. And so, some people do, of course, but... I, to, to be told by my mother at that age that she had no clue what I was talking about, it was very, <laughs> really revealing. And so it's like, you know, if you ask somebody what color is that, you don't really know if the color they say they're seeing is the color you're seeing. Maybe that's why our planet is kind of uh, aloof <laughs> about <laughs> any of these things that are taking place presently. They, the connection isn't there. Um, well, I, it, well yeah. I can give an example. Uh, when we were, uh, when I was at the Whale and Dolphin Summit in Hawaii, a lady from Japan was there, and she said, I mean, here we're also involved with dolphins and whales. She said, in Japan, the majority of the people think a dolphin is just a big fish. Oh, that's why they keep eating them, which is uh, a colleague of mine, Hardy Jones, has an organization called Blue Voice. And his approach to the Japan problem is to try to educate the people that they, by eating dolphins, they are assuring themselves cancer because he's teaching them about the mercury 
levels and the toxicity of dolphin meat. But you're right. They think of them as big fish, and they think of them as annoying predators who are killing other things in the ocean they want to eat. Oh, that makes me want to cry. Yeah, it makes me want to cry all the time. It's just very hard when you're an activist to keep your emotions in balance so that you don't just feel despair and lose your power. Yeah, but even to to think that someone even believes that is... I mean, it's not in my my uh, thinking pattern, you know. So, well, I, I, I know it, it just opened my eyes up on how around the world different views on dolphin and whales, and they uh, you knew we spoke before the show that you know Ann Gordon, and she mm-hmm. was on our show, and she said that uh, they're trying to educate. Um, uh, people to do whale watching instead of killing them, that they can make as much exactly. money bringing tourists in and watching the whales instead of killing them. So that's like a, like a little, it's a nudge that's helping every inch of the way. The truth is, until we as a global population stop eating animals, they will never, the killing of animals will never end because there's a bloodlust element there, that by eating the animals, we are detached from their pain and suffering. So I'm an advocate for vegetarianism, of course, because I, I believe that that's a process that we need to go through to, 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 to be able to see the animal for the beautiful being that it is and not as possible food. Okay, we love whales and dolphins particularly, but what about the cows? What about them? They have babies, you know? Right. And uh, I don't want to get off on a tirade about that, but I I just gently want to mention, because people are very defensive about vegetarianism, and um, I don't want to ever be pushy about it. But I, I just like to suggest that until we detach from eating animals, and the bloodlust that's involved in that, and that is, oh, God, this steak is good. It's such a detachment from understanding to a conscious being who has a right to be alive as much as we do. And when we get that as a global population, we'll stop killing the animal. We'll stop killing the dolphins and the whales. You know, Patricia, over and, the last, uh, well, I can, I can see um, uh, our neighbors that have a cat and uh, a couple of others that have dogs over this last week or so, the energy since the Cardinal Cross has taken place, it's extra, extra high. And the animals are really, they're, they're just crying. I mean, it's just amazing. And then, the, and then the families are going, what's the matter with these animals? And, and it, and yet I've had to say, okay, have you noticed how you feel? And the animals are feeling it too. Uh, the frequencies are changing so rapidly on the planet right now that everybody is just kind of feeling the empathic aspects of everything going on. And and people are unaware. I mean, they go through their daily life they have two jobs <laughs> and and they're you know they're just they can't settle and be grounded enough to realize what's really taking place so it's yeah. so nice that you're able to to have the workshops to be able to bring this awareness to more people and um what's really taking place on the planet in the moment well thank you i I love doing this work with people, and it helps me also stay connected because as a writer, and uh, a lot of time I spend alone and uh, in my little office pounding away 13 books and a lot of books, you know. Wow. But uh, I love doing this work with people, and I have to say that after we do a workshop, the connection between the people is remarkable. I, I just came back from England where I did the Singing the Oceans of Life concert, and one of the people who has been in two of my workshops and also journeyed with me 
in Egypt, stopped by Denmark to visit another person who had been in one of the workshops. These wonderful relationships and love of soul family reconnecting is an extraordinary byproduct of the workshops that I offer. And it, it's just amazing, lightworkers coming back together that have been here, that know they've been together before. And that is one of the exciting things that's happening for us now. It's just this, in this awakening process and these enormous shifts we're going through, we are finding each other again. And I love that. I know it's, a, like, like I said at the beginning of the show, it's a very small world. Um, it is. Yes. It's a very so big you, world. It's a very small world at the same time. <laughs> so, are you yeah. taking any uh, spiritual trips in the near future? Uh, I want to. I I tried to go back to Egypt this year, and the place flared up again. And it's weird because in 2011, I told my group, I brought a group for 11-11-11, which was extraordinary. And I said to them. This might be the last trip I take to Egypt. And since then, I haven't been able to get back because of all the trouble there. So I'm not sure. I don't know what's in in the future. Right now, I'm so absorbed with the emissary and the work for the whales and dolphins. And I've been asked to do another concert. Uh, So I'm not sure if I've got anything in the next 12 months. I will see how it evolves. Well, before the uh, let people know your uh, actual website, so they can keep on checking to see about your events. When I was when I was looking you you up, you have more than one website. But yes, I do. My publisher's <laughs> been on me about that and said, "Could you please consolidate?" But uh, I have my main website is SyrianRevelation.net. My out of date but soon to be repaired website. Uh, for more information on me personally is patriciacorey.com and we've just developed a new site for the emissary which is called theemissary.net so that tells about the movie where can people pick up your book the quickest where can people pick up your book the quickest it should be in bookstores Find bookstores everywhere that you can always ask your bookstore, even if it's not on the shelf, to you just tell them the book you want and they will look it up and contact the distributor and order it for you. Or, of course, you can order it on Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk and Barnes and & Noble and all of the online booksellers have it. Now, now I read on your one of your uh, websites, Upcoming, the Keeper of the Crystal Skull. Now, what is that? That's the sequel to The Emissary. Oh. And uh, it's halfway done. The screenplay is halfway done. And once I get the screenplay done, I'll start the book. So it's going to be a while. Although I shouldn't say that because it took me three months to write the to write the novel after the screenplay was done. So it's, uh, the, are they going to do all three movies? I mean, from your, your three screenplays? Well, we hope. Yeah. We've got, we've got, you know, it's hard to know. Hollywood is a strange and wonderful place, and it's hard to know what how they're going to move. But uh, obviously, if the when, let me correct that, when the emissary gets done and if and when the groundswell rises of excitement over the material and the film, then of course it's a no brainer that the others will, will follow. I'm just writing away, not worrying about that. I just write and write. Well, <laughs> that's good that you work that way because it could be, create some blocks if you didn't. Yeah, that's right. You just have to move forward. It's like my background is, is languages. I love, I've studied languages in the university. And I would not worry about if I was saying it correctly. I'd just speak. And that's the best way to learn. Just jump and do what you can and then not worry about the consequences. Uh, your first book, did you write that before you uh, left the Bay Area? 
No. I left the Bay Area in 1983, and my first book, The Couples of Soul, I started channeling in 1996. Okay, that's when you first started receiving from the... Yeah, I was doing healing work and very involved in things mystical in the Bay Area back then, and I was particularly intrigued by crystal healing. I had the wonderful opportunity to meet and have a short time with Mark, uh, with um, Dr. Vogel of uh, Vogel Cut Crystals at the Psychic Research Institute, but um, that was short-lived. So I I've got quite a variety of things that, that excite me, and I was a crystal healer for many years. Well, the um, the Bay Area at the beginning of the 80s it was really opening up. I mean, that's when I start receiving a lot of things, and and so every everybody in our little tight community, it's, everything was coming through, and it was very exciting. It still is. But, it, I mean, it was the Bay Area. Well, even in the 70s, the Bay Area was definitely the place to be. I was very blessed. And it has the wave has moved way out now, so that's really great. Mm-hmm. So besides writing in Italy, what else do you do there? Do you, I know you can, you have classes, but you're is that like a hub where you go to other places in Europe and um, present yeah, workshops? Yeah, I don't teach very much in Italy. I usually am teaching workshops and uh, doing sacred journeys outside of Italy, and I spend the summers in the Azores Islands swimming with dolphins and enjoying the ocean. Did you say Azor Island? Uh-huh. Which oh. is in the middle. You know where they yeah. are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, my husband comes from there. Oh. Boy, we have a lot of connections, don't we? It's going to end up we know each <laughs> other. <I'll bet. laughs> and then there was, I'm trying to think of her name, a little French girl um, that uh, takes people out. She go, She lives in France, but she... Um, goes to the Azor Islands a few months out of the year and takes people out swimming with the, the dolphins. Bye. So that's you probably have run into her. Um, maybe I don't without a name it's hard. Oh dear! I, I don't. I think my phone is ringing. I'm on an intervista. Sorry about that. <laughs> Anyway, the uh, yeah the Azor Islands. Uh, she really perked my interest up. I thought, well, um, oh, it, we'll go so back rich. to the Azor. The Azor Islands has one of the richest broad spectrum of different species of cetaceans, and some some really pristine waters still. So we've got oh every humpback, blue whale, lots of sperm whales. Every kind of dolphin, and really rich. I, the last time I was there, which was last year, at one point my boat was surrounded by, I would say, 500 dolphins. Oh, wow. And that's why so many of us are attracted to the Azores, because the, the, the populations of dolphin and whales there are noteworthy. And they're beautiful. Somebody wants to, I mean, everybody has a... a um different theory, but somebody said at one time that the um, the Atlantis could have been nearby the Azor Islands. Well, I think I was that person, for sure, <laughs> in my book, Before We Leave You. I described <laughs> when I first went there, I flew over the island. I was going there to swim with dolphins for the first time in the wild, and from the air, the mountain, it's called Pico Mountain, it protruded right through the clouds. And I'm, I'm in the plane, and I'm, I'm flying into this island, and there's this mountain right at the, through the clouds. And I, I just said, this is Atlantis. Oh, my God. And I've been going there for four years, five years now. And every time when I put my foot down on that land, I know I'm in Atlantis. And so do the locals, because everywhere you look, Atlantis Pizza, Atlantis Taxi, Atlantis Insurance, they know that it's Atlantis. And at least people say, well, but Atlantis was that just one island. And I, I, I believe that Atlantis was a, a huge continent that went all the way down to South America. But that those islands 
are part of the Atlantean continent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I when think I was that there, area, part of that, the area surrounding Atlantis now is starting to to rise up. There's more land um, in the in the in the area surrounding Atlantis as well. So, yeah, I think. We have some neat uh, visual aspects maybe showing up uh, quicker than we might think. Yeah, well, Mother Earth is just rocking and rolling. <laughs> she is. And, you know, well, you've you given me a... It's just amazing what's happening. You've given me a great excuse to uh, go back to the Azores because when we were in the Azores, we were just visiting relatives, and the dolphins and whales were not even on my mind. And so now... I have. Oh, well, let me know when you come back because I have a little house there and I'm there oh. for some months every year. So if you decide to go back, let me know and maybe we can go out together with the whales and dolphins. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Small world again. By Indeed. then she'll be running around. I want to hear something really cool and that is that the the producer said, now, Patricia, we're going to want you on the set when we start rolling. And I said, okay, twist my arm. And I said, where will you be filming? And he said, I thought they were going to film it in Hollywood. And he said, well, we'll probably want to get a yacht and park it somewhere in the Caribbean. Ooh. I said, well, I, I seriously can do that. Ah! <laughs> so so when, is, is there a date when they're going to start rolling? No, not yet. It's uh, still, you know, it's packaging a movie. This is a, a movie that's going to cost uh, millions and millions of dollars to produce. Oh, you and have to call us. You have to call us and let us put you on air as as you're doing this. It'll be really great fun. Well, that would be fun. Okay, yeah. It's like, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in the States, as you announced, and I will be meeting with the producer for the first time, and Hopefully, I'm going to get some really good news. I can't wait to get yeah, rolling. I know. I guess there's many hats people have to uh, have on to um, actually create a movie, and one of the hats is um, getting the money. <laughs> That's a very big hat. Yeah. So you are something else to be. Can you believe your life? I mean. <laughs> I mean, I'm just listening to you talk. And do you have to pinch yourself and say, is this really happening? Yeah, actually. Um, I work hard, though. I really work hard. I my, I can't remember the last weekend I've had off. I work uh, nonstop. And so it's the achievements are extraordinary, and, but they come on the, on the wings of lots of hard work. And uh, I don't mind working hard. The rewards are so great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, before let's let, uh, let our listeners know um, we're speaking with Patricia Corey. Uh, she's an author among many other um, titles that she holds. But we're speaking today about her latest novel, The Emissary, and the book that's available for you to to purchase. She has uh, several websites. One is patriciacorey.com, and that's her last name is spelled C-O-R-I, so it's patriciacorey.com. Uh, another website is syrianrevelations.net, and Syrian is spelled S-I-R-I-A-N, revelations.net. And um, if also, somebody wants to get tickets for your workshop, this time. workshop, oh. yeah, the workshop oh. this weekend, Mother's Day is on the 11th, so take your mom <laughs> with you. And I'm offering uh, a special discount, by the way, for people who bring their mom. The mom comes at 50% discount, so it's a great gift to give your mother. Great, oh, great. Now, how can people get tickets for that? Or to, uh, they can write to me at Pat Corey, P A T C 
C-O-R-I, at Tiscali. This is my personal email. Uh, that's T as in Tom, I-S as in Sam, C-A-L-I dot I-T. So it's patcory at Tiscali dot I-T. Or they can reach me through some of the websites that you've mentioned, and uh, there are contact information there. Okay. But please contact me, patcory at tiscali.it, and we'll get you signed up. Great. Very good. And, okay, it's, the workshop's going to be at Sheridan Fisherman's Wharf on May the 10th and 11th. She'll be speaking at the San Francisco Public Library on uh the 13th of May, which is uh, Tuesday, also from 6 to 7.30 p.m. And tell a little, uh, tell us again about the workshop, would you please, Patricia? Yes, this is um, DNA activation, uh, the rewriting of genetic codes, the re- returning the waters of your being, to a perfect balanced state, a blissful state, total empowerment, well, total empowerment, that's a big statement, but certainly working on, on finding bliss in life, opening the, the, the third eye as is appropriate to each person's process and journey. And, uh, well, some really fun things like going to, being guided to a garta, meet with the Lord of Agartha, who is the spirit master of planet Earth, and other things that I like to guide people to. It's, it's really a very deep and powerful, moving experience. I promise you that. Is there anything well, that we haven't touched upon that you want to share with our listeners? We have about 30 seconds left. You want to <laughs> tell us about that? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand the first part of the question. Anything that you, I wanted to focus upon? That we have, that we've missed, yeah, and didn't tell our listeners. A last message. In 30 seconds. My last message is, whatever you do, please care. Please care about the planet. Please care about the whales and dolphins. Because if we don't do something to help them, there won't be any whales and dolphins in the future. And we won't let that happen. We are the guardians of planet Earth. It is time we rise up to the responsibility and the celebration of that responsibility to heal our beautiful planet. A lot of us now want to leave and go to our star, old star families, and my comment to that is you came here with a mission, with a purpose. You knew exactly what you were doing when you incarnated here. So let's start celebrating being here, and let's honor the Great Mother. Patricia Corey, thank you for illuminating a path for human transformation. I, you know, it's just so brilliant what you have done. Thank you. And thank you for taking time for being with us before your journey to to the Bay Area. (laughs) You can surprise me and be there. And by the way, people can come, even if they're not pre-registered, they can come to the door. So if you if you have a last-minute decision that you're going to come, please show up at the Sheraton Wharf, San Francisco, at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, and you'll be part of the weekend. Great. Thank you for doing your the work you're doing. So, blessings. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.